right. We're going to end up in here and there. We're going to end up just in a couple of verses. First Peter, uh, First Thessalonians. That'd be a good one to go to if you've got your Bibles. First Thessalonians. All right, so many things we could be uh, talking about at the moment. Oh, we've got a PowerPoint. There you go. So many things we could be uh, talking about. Uh, so many headlines that rightly grab our attention and have, have us glued to the 6 o'clock news every evening. I'm not a, I'm not a big 6 o'clock news watcher in general. I gave up news apps for Lent about seven or eight years ago, and I didn't really pick them up since then. Uh, with COVID coming along, found myself watching the news a lot more, and then recently, of course, with what's happening around New Zealand, started watching the news more. But there's a lot to grab your attention. Um, a lot that's troubling, of course. We sit there astonished and astounded and shocked and saddened and outraged and overwhelmed by all these kind of various things that are going on, and it can be hard to process it. And then you come to church on a Sunday, and the pastor has the audacity to take up an offering, one, and then talk about Lent and call you to fasting and prayer and giving things up. It's like, gosh, one thing on top of another. Let's just have Advent again and count into Christmas. Let's have a long Advent of looking forward to the wonder of Christmas. No, we're, we're, we're getting ready for, for Lent, which leaves me. So what to talk about this morning? What to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about... Um, Earthquakes, and we're going to talk about cyclones and flooding and pandemics. We're going to talk about the consistent whispering of the Spirit. We're going to talk about bear crates and pina coladas um, as well. We're going to talk about that. And then, of course, we're going to talk about Lent as well, because we're preparing for Lent. Oh, I'm going to tell you about a guy I met who stood on death's door, close to dying, and then the lessons that he learned from that encounter, I'll tell you about him as well. Um, it's a big ask, I know, palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, but I'm going to give it a go, and uh, I think we can do that this morning. I'm going to place it all under an umbrella of, uh, I'm going to use the, the word sober, we're going to put it all under the umbrella of sober, which is an appropriate word to, um, to consider or to mull on as we, as we prepare for Lent. So we'll, we'll package it all in this umbrella of soberness. Uh, sober is a word that's used six times uh, in the New Testament, and we'll touch on a couple of those uh, this morning. But let's start with bear crates and pina coladas. It seemed like the logical place to start a sermon as we get ready for Lent. I got an email this week from somebody uh, outside of St. Luke's. It was a, 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 the email was gracious and kind and generous and inquisitive and absolutely Beautifully written, and it was, it, was, it was a lovely email to receive, and I responded. We had some dialogue and things like that. Uh, but I was also concerned, and the concern was the, uh, the bear crate uh, pulpit here, and the casual reference to pina coladas and alcohol and various sermons and things like that. And I was like, okay, all right, that, that's cool. If you're, if you're uh, not a part of St. Luke's, you won't necessarily know our story. If you're new to St. Luke's, you won't necessarily know much of our story. And, and given, uh, you know, the reality of alcohol in our, in our cultural context, it's, there's some obvious questions around that, if you think about it. There, it's, it's something that uh, can be problematic for many. So the, the email was, was kind-hearted and generous and no trouble at all, uh, and I appreciated the chance to dialogue. The, the concerns tied to obvious social ills and, and negative impacts that can come with alcohol, and it's entirely understandable. So, so what, what's going on here, and why would I even bother to mention it this morning? What's going on? Well, one person sees something and hears something and perceives something and comes to one conclusion. Another person sees something and hears something and perceives something and comes to another conclusion. 
other people had seen and heard the whole thing the whole time and never even actually thought about it. Like, it was like, I didn't, yeah. Oh, yeah, it, they are bear crates. Fancy that. I didn't even know that. There's ABC written on them. So, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things going at once. Deep concern, total sense of being comfortable, and then I didn't even notice that. And I've been coming to this church for 12 years, and I'd never noticed it. Um, so, you know, what's, what's kind of going on there? How is that happens? Well, let's back up the story a little bit. Uh, when we started St. Luke's 12 years ago, um, you kind of don't know who you're going to reach. Uh, I very much thought the first thing we were going to do as a church was to reach all these unchurched people that were far from Jesus and didn't know Jesus, and that, that was what we were going to do. And, and St. Luke's would just be this, all just people new to the Christian faith coming in, like the 18 of us that started and then just discipleship kind of thing. Uh, but what happened real quick was we went from 18 to about 70 in about a week and a half. Um, and so that was lovely. Um, and then, but what I realized, for whatever reason, the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, or whatever, the, the immediate group that became the community that was St. Luke's right in the beginning had some big questions about the Bible and some big questions about church and some big questions about what it meant to follow Jesus. Uh, for some of those people, uh, the, um, the language in those early days was, if St. Luke's wasn't around, I wouldn't be going to any church. Or, um, this is, you're my last, what, I don't know if the term is the last chance saloon. I don't know if that's a term. Maybe it is. I don't know. You're the, St. Luke's is the last chance saloon, though. We'll have a go at this, and then we'll, um, if it's no good, we're out. You know, overchurch people kind of excellent. It's like, oh, man, we quickly just kind of created this community. And then the rest is history. Uh, you can either be a pastor that um, declares the vision and what we're doing, and everyone either gets on board with that or leaves. Um, some people go down that path, and you would have heard those at very inspiring conferences from time to time, when they had an offering with a trailer and a shofar as well, probably. So you're, you're probably seeing that. Or you could be a pastor that says, we started, this is the community that we gathered. Oh, how do we next best serve this community on the journey that what it takes? One of the things we realized pretty quickly was that most of the people were pretty comfortable uh, having a glass of wine with dinner, a pina colada by the pool, or um, a craft beer with friends at a barbecue. And it just was kind of normal. I didn't really think anything of it. Um, in fact, the kinds of people that we were reaching out to, the, the unchurched friends, so, so St. Luke's, we've done, we did some surveys in the early days, and I love the results on this. 94% of St. Luke's people have meaningful relationships with unchurched people. It's like, how good is that? 92% of St. Luke's people would feel comfortable bringing their unchurched people to St. Luke's. It's like, how good is that? Literally, those are, 90, just so you know, 94 and 92, those are pretty, are pretty high schools. I regularly have spiritual conversations with my unchurched friends and talk about Jesus and pray for them. 18%, so that was a little, little bit lower. Um, Paul says, come follow me as I follow Christ, which indicates probably in those early days we had a lot of people that weren't ready to say you know, follow me like I follow Christ, because I'm just working out whether I do want to follow Christ and what that's going to look like coming. But we worked out pretty quickly that the kinds of people we're going to be reaching to have a craft beer or a pina colada would be normal and natural and winsome to normalize that rather than to make that kind of, kind of weird, as well as to normalize restraint and moderation and maturity and freedom and all of those kinds of things as well. Um, primary reach wasn't into communities where the negative effects of alcohol were the, the common narrative. And so, you know, it's like, okay, you, gotta, you, you balance that and you think around with that. And on balance, it's like, hey, we're kind of comfortable with those kinds of things. 
um, winsome to some. If I pastored in a different context, and when I minister in different contexts, I wouldn't tell a story about a pina colada. And I, I don't take the bear crates with me when I travel, just so you know, this is just something we may hear. Um, you're sensitive to the different contexts that you minister in. I, I do a lot with Lau, who was on the screen just before. We do a lot with Samoan churches and things like that. It's, it's more of a teetotaling context. And so you're respectful of that, and you minister according to that. But on balance, within the context of St. Luke's, I don't really think about these kinds of things. St. Luke's is St. Luke's, and we reach the people that we reach as St. Luke's kind of thing. Uh, to be free to have a drink is wonderful, then to be wise enough to abstain is wonderful, and then to choose to be a teetotaler because there's convictions and history and your life and family that that's what, well, that's wonderful as well. You just want to be a champion to all of those things. Um, and then we ended up with this bear crate pulpit. How, how did that happen? Well, we, we did a series called um, well, the, the Son of Man Came to Seek and Save the Lost. The Son of Man Came to Serve, uh, to serve and Not to Be Served. And then the third verse in the Gospels is that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And he was always getting in trouble for eating and drinking and drinking too much and eating too much and eating and drinking with the wrong crowd and all these kind of things. So, and we did a series on the Son of Man comes eating and drinking at the same time as we shifted to this church, at the same time as we needed a new lectern, at the same time that everyone was upcycling beer crates and um, pallets. And I was like, it's just way cheaper to make one out of beer crates. So I made one out of beer crates. And it was kind of like poignant to that series and it's kind of stuck around ever since. There's, there's not really much more to that. Except that upcycling is an entry-level form of participation in the recreation of the world. If you've got a sacramental perspective, if you've got the ability to see things as a signpost that points to something else, upcycling is an entry-level an entry-level participation in the recreation of the world, of lifting that which is broken or average or nonchalant or not noticeable to be something more beautiful. Uh, Dwayne painted the, the huge icon there, but he, he did a draft of um, Jesus because it was the first time he'd ever painted Jesus and he wanted to have a practice run. Uh, so he had a practice run of painting Jesus and he gave that, gifted that to me, which was lovely. But what I didn't know until he told me later was it's painted on an old um, cafeteria tray. Remember at like Decker cafes or farmers, you know, you, you slide them along the rail and you get your asparagus roll and a and a strawberry milk or whatever. It's like it's painted on like an old cafe tray. It's like those things are good for nothing. Throw them out. Or an artist gets a hold of them, turns them into a canvas, and upcycles them, so it makes them something more beautiful, um, something more than what it would be if it was just left to itself. So, so upcycling is kind of an entry level into that sacramental living, to our priestly role as image bearers to lift the world around us to make it something more, uh, a lifting that serves as a signpost to God. In communion, grape and bread, grape and wheat, is lifted to be symbolic of the, the blood and the body of Christ. And yet it's not just symbolic. There's something more to that. I'm not a literal guy. I'm not saying that it becomes the body. But I'm not even just saying it just represents. There's something more mysterious going on there. It's the, it's the lifting of ordinary creation to be something more. 
But so too the work of the weather-beaten farmer who grows grapes or wheat suddenly becomes something more. It's lifted to be something more, an offering to God in some way, shape, or form. So too the baker and the winemaker who puts these things together. And so too the truck driver who gets up early and his blurred eyes to transport around. And so too the Sunday manager that puts it together on a Sunday. And all the Sunday managers who always ask first question, do we have communion today? It's like, yes, great. And then those ones, oh, not, no, not today. We're doing some other things. So they're like, oh, thank goodness, because you've got to cut up lots of bread and fill cups of it, well, it's, it's, it's very everyday and ordinary, but it becomes the lifting to be something. By the time you gather at the communion table, the work that has gone into it, the, the very natural things, there's something more going on. But you have to have a sacramental worldview to see that. Sacramental is to, to see something as a signpost to something else, to look beyond the obvious. And uh, so, you, you know, you've got all of that sort of thing happening as well. And so, like, here we've got crates that. Um, I don't know where I got them from. I just got—I don't have crates of beer. I just went and got them from a liquor store. Lisa might have picked them up from. A, you have any crates we can borrow? Well, what do you want to do with them? Well, we're going to make a pulpit at church. It's like, okay, um, you, you have crates that hold the worst of all beers, kind of thing. <laughs> now upcycled to hold in a real way. The, the, I mean, I've got my Bible's digital, but to hold the Word of God and to hold a sermon that's been lovingly and prayerfully put together and, and brought to the community to be a blessing in some way, shape, or form. Um, it says on it, you don't probably know, but it says here, make your empties go another round, which is clearly a prophetic word to any pastor. <laughs> to these empty people that have gathered, help them to go. Now, you, you, know, you might think, I'm not joking, though. It depends on your ability to see things with a sacramental perspective, to see things as something more. It's one conclusion and the other conclusion is not right or wrong. It's clearly obvious, probably more obvious. It's weird that they have beer crates at a church, given alcohol in the community. That's probably the most obvious thing to see. But if you have a sacramental perspective, there's actually something more going on in the story. That's the difference between a consumer and a connoisseur. A connoisseur wants to know, hey, what's the story behind the thing? What's going on in there? Who, who did that? Why did they do that? How come a consumer looks at the painting and goes, yeah, cool painting. I like the gold. And then they look at that one. Yeah, that's cool. Lines. And then they, you know, move. a connoisseur takes about four days to go through that one, to ask the questions. Why did Dwayne do that? What does that mean? What's going? That, that's the difference. And as Christians, I, my part of discipling us as a church is that we would grow to be connoisseurs of life, not consumers of life, connoisseurs of one another, because every person has a story and a reason and a history and kind of thing. So it's obvious that you could see this as whatever. But I don't joke when I talk about a sacramental perspective. There's something more going on. And if bear crates can be lifted to be something more than they otherwise would be, maybe you and I can be lifted to be something more than we otherwise would be. Maybe even old bear crate can become sacramental in some way, shape, or form. Maybe old mate can become sacramental in some shape or form and be somebody that lives as a signpost to God. So both conclusions are valid, but at St. Luke's, on balance... I'm aiming for the sacramental kind of, kind of life. And if I passed it in a different context, it would be a different story. But this is St. Luke's, and we have our story. That said, that said, we're preparing for Lent. We're free, but our freedom is an invitation to wisdom and maturity in Christ. We're called to be free, but we're also, of course, called to be sober. What is it to be sober? Those who are self-controlled, clear-headed, 
in a right state of mind, of clear judgment, not dulled or deluded. Let me read from 1 Thessalonians. It's up there on the screen. Uh, You're all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Uh, Most often when sober is mentioned in the Bible, it's alert and sober. Be awake and sober. Be alert and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, that is, we belong to the light rather than the darkness, metaphor of belonging to Christ, etc., etc., put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. 1 Peter 2, 16-7. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor Chris Hipkins. Oh, that's the paraphrased version. Honor the emperor. Honor those that are in charge. Honor the leaders. Let us be sober-minded. Well, Lent is 40 days of preparing for Easter, preparing for resurrection life. The 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness. It's an invitation to be clear-headed. Sober-minded. We're mindful of the wisdom that comes with laying aside some of our freedoms, with choosing to abstain, to consider anything that might be addictive or idolized in our lives, and to lay that aside, to create space for prayer, for fasting, for giving, to, to, to focus on the growth of our life in Christ. For some, that might mean putting alcohol aside, we're not to be those that are drunk or dulled or deluded, and that's certainly one of the possible effects of alcohol. Perhaps that's something you need to lay aside for Lent. It's freedom, but then there's maturity. It calls us to be sober-minded and to be wise and to be careful. But there's other things that leave us dulled and deluded, often more subversive in nature, and likely, knowing the community that we are, likely to be of more concern. Too easy to pay attention to alcohol, but miss that we've been deluded by false gods and dulled by all sorts of forms of escapism that are a little bit more subversive and fly a little bit more beneath the radar. Deluded by idols, false gods that promise the good life and salvation and that every angst and sense of insecurity and inferiority inferiority can be dealt with. If you just get enough money, that's the easiest one to talk about. But it's a little bit like alcohol. It's kind of obvious, but there's others that are more... Subversive, but money, of course. Promotion. If you get that promotion, oh, the difference that'll make in, in you just you'll sleep so soundly at night once you get that promotion. Man, you'd be you'd just be in the right space. It'd just be you'd be able to rest easy. Oh, it's well with my soul. I got that promotion. It's like no, he wrote it was well with his soul when his whole family had died, not when he got the promotion. Being the boss. Oh, if I could find, if I could just be the boss. Then you have no one telling you what to do. How easy is that? It's like, no, if you're the boss, that just means all of the people tell you what to do instead of when you just have one person telling you what to do. Owning that house or winning that argument. Oh, if I could win that argument. Ah, the sense of well-being that would bring. Being in that crowd or having that outfit or buying that widget or voting in that party or changing that law or telling that person where to go. If I could tell that person where to go, oh, the saving sense of well-being that would be for me. 
Again, when he said it was well with my soul, it wasn't because he'd told somebody where to go. Take a hike, Mike. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that. Getting that job or quitting that job or retiring from that job. Oh, the good days. Oh, if I just... Yeah, this is a classic one. If I just had a boyfriend. If I just had a boyfriend. My life would be so fulfilled. You get a boyfriend. If we were engaged, then my life would be perfect. And get engaged. Oh, if we were married. Oh, if we had kids. Oh, if we had kids that weren't in nappies. Honestly, Lord, if we had kids that weren't in nappies, that would be like salvation. That would be like our whole house would be put in order. If they could just sleep through the night. Oh, oh teenagers. If they could just not be teenagers, that would be... Oh, well, when these kids move out of home, thank goodness for that. That'll be... That'll, we'll have a... We'll be empty nesters. We'll have such a sense of well-being. And it's like... And it's just this constant living for them. And then they move out of home. And they moved out of home. We've had a couple of... Not my kids. Not yet. We've had a couple of kids that have moved out of home to uni. It's like, oh... And then you get over that, and it's like, and then, but then they announce that they've got boyfriends and girlfriends, and they're having kids. And Lisa always says to our kids, just to annoy me, she goes, the minute that you have babies, the minute you have babies, just drop them off to me and dad, and we'll look after them. And I'm like, oh, no, like, no, like, gosh, our whole newly married years were spent running a youth group with 300 kids. Like, can we get the kids out of home and not run anything, so... But it's that, it's that always looking for the next thing, the salvation that's going to come. These are the things more likely to delude us. They're ideas that become ideologies that become idols. And we haven't realized that that's happened. We think it's just an idea. Oh, the idea of having a boyfriend would be fantastic. And it is if you're a single girl and you want a boyfriend. That's awesome. But it's, it's not the solution to everything. It's not the thing that's going to... You know, anyone that's got married, you didn't wake up on the first day of... It's like, oh, my problems have been healed. It's like, no, it's like, all my problems have doubled. I've got hers now. This is complicated. But we have these things, these, these delusions that this is the, th- this is the thing that will, will be the thing. And our lives become orientated around these things to the point that they're the thing we actually worship. That is, they're the thing that we orientate most of our life around. Dulled by distractions, too numerous to count, uh, we're not the attentive connoisseurs that we're called to be. We live instead as casual consumers, moving from one distraction to another. We now have all of the music. You know, all of the mu- on Spotify, you have all of the music from all of the artists, from all of the genres, from all time. <laughs> I don't want to know what to listen to. <laughs> I just go back to Weezer and just cycle through again and again and again. We can now watch all of the programs that have ever been made. And you sit there, it's like, I can't find one. We've consumed ourselves that we're so dulled. It's a form of escapism. We binge Netflix. We're addicted to fast food. We can't stand silence or solitude or stillness. We're addicted to noise and movement and activity and screens. One, one time at St. Luke's in the early years, we had a basket. We did pass the basket, actually. And everyone put in their cell phones, and then we just put them up at the back of the stage. And people antsy during this, antsy. It's like, I can't turn to the scripture. When he, when he referenced, it's like, you weren't antsy because you couldn't turn to the scripture on your iPhone. You were news apps and weather apps and Uber orders and the noise. We can't, it's, we're addicted to it. We've become human, de- human doings rather than human beings. And so we've got to pay attention to alcohol. We've got to pay attention to money, but there's... There's all these other things that dull us and delude us. We're to be sober-minded and clear-headed. 
These are things to give up for Lent in the hope that you could give it up for Lent and then give it up forever. 40 days of giving up, thinking that getting the promotion will save all my problems. I'm gonna, if that comes into my mind, I'm going to just let that aside. I'm going to just cast that aside. And Amazing that you can, 40 days later, man, I really, I'm not angsty about that anymore. I'm not driven about that anymore. It's transformative. To give up that which deludes, that which dulls. All right, earthquakes, cyclones, flooding, pandemics. It'd be nice to give these up for Lent. That would be better to give up for Lent, eh? I'm going to give up coffee. No, I'm not going to give up coffee. I'm going to give up cyclones. That's what I'm going to give up for Lent. It's like, no, it doesn't work. Mind you, if you're somebody that, doesn't, that drinks tea, just a reminder, giving up coffee for Lent as a tea drinker, it's not a thing, just so you know, because we've had a few... I've given up watching TV. You don't watch TV. Yeah, I know, but everyone else is giving up TV. It's... It doesn't count for you because it's not a thing in your world. So that's just for free this morning. But the other stuff, I'd make you pay for it, but instead give it to the floods. All right, earthquakes, floods, pandemics. It'd be nice to give those up for Lent. But even Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. No food, no electricity, no comms, no infrastructure. Isolated and cut off from the rest of society. There are experiences that must be lived through in life. Lived through and endured, as agonizing, awful, and anxiety-inducing as they are. You can't just give them up. And we've had three and a half years of that with the pandemic. Remember when you'd like had enough of the pandemic after like, you know, after four weeks of lockdown? Like, it can go away now. And it didn't. <laughs> but yeah, you don't you don't actually get to like it just is. Talked often about World War II. Imagine being like a year into World War II. Oh, I've had enough. This is silly. Time out. It's like, no, you, you, you don't get to just choose that. You, you just have to live the life that's in front of you. So we're to be alert and sober-minded. 1 Peter 5, verse 7, 8, there's another reference to being sober. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. That is clear-headed, sound judgment. For as long as humans have existed, there's been a propensity to try and invest meaning into suffering. Suffering so hard to process, so counterintuitive, so painful, so, so disorientating. Forever, humans have tried to invest meaning into it. Oh, that must have happened because of A, B, and C. That'll have happened because of X, Y, and Z. And the most simplest way that that manifests itself, manifests itself is, is, is in all sorts of cultures, um, offering of sacrifices. Like, oh, we had a storm and the crops were wiped out. We mustn't have made the right sacrifice. The gods must have done this or this. And we, we tried to invest meaning into suffering. I think, it, I think it's futile thinking. He did that, so this happened. Or she did that, so this happened. And somebody must have done that. Oh, man, I'm glad, I'm glad that Tauranga is full of amazing people who pray for the city and uh, we have sunshine. I think it would be, it would be good if Napier had, uh, had organized a prayer meeting or two. It's like, no, that's like literally the dumbest thing that you could possibly think. Oh, was this, was this guy born blind because of his sin or because of his parents' sin? Just, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. 
Oh, that tower that fell down. Man, and those, all those people that were killed in the tower, they must have been incredibly sinful people. And Jesus says, no, no, no. <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. Rain, which in an ancient Near Eastern context of a desert is a blessing. <laughs> the rain, the goodness, the blessing falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. The trials and the sufferings and the tragedies of life fall on the righteous. and the un- It's inherent to the human condition. Psalm 34, verse 19. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from, all of, from them all. Romans 8, 28, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. I didn't put them on the screen, but if, if you pay attention to them, they're no promise that you will avoid suffering or not have heartache or pain. Psalm 34, 19. The righteous person may have many troubles. It's not, it's no... Oh, back that up. I was hoping for, we'll not have any troubles. No, no, the righteous person may have many troubles. In other words, the troubles will come. The pain will come. The suffering will come. The heartache will come. Stay true. Stay faithful. Stay to the course. And the Lord will deliver you through them. God will be present to you. God will guide you and lead you and, and come around you. It's not get out of jail free. It's not there'll be no troubles. No, the troubles will come. But God will walk with you. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, it's not a promise of good things. It's a problem of all the things. You know all the things that humans can go through? You know when you go, all, you, when you go through all those things that humans can go through, like joy and delight and happiness and wonder and pain and heartache and suffering and tears and all those things, stay, stay, stay true to the course. Walk with Jesus and watch that even those things, good can come out of them. You, you can grow and develop out of these things. But they're not, they're not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Both offer hope in the midst of suffering. Both offer hope that maybe something transformational can happen in this moment. But they don't even offer that that's the reason for it. It's just that good things can come of it, but it's not the reason for it, but at least in the economy of God, even this can be worked in some way to bring life and transformation. Rather than seek to figure out the meaning of this suffering or that suffering, we should simply allow suffering to make us attentive to that which is most meaningful in life. I think that's one of the great invitations of the pandemic, having navigated most of it, was to man, do, do a stock take in regards to well, what do you really... Man, we, got, we, we, got a, we had a 365 times 2 Lent. That's a lot more than 40 days each year. Well, it's an invitation to stock take. What's most important to me in life? What am I really pursuing in life? Who do I want to become? Because things like a pandemic, they're really inconvenient to like going and attaining and doing and, and, and getting those things that you want. But they need not get in the way of becoming the person that you're called to be. And you realize, oh man, I've got all these things I want to do and I haven't focused so much on who I would like to become. It's a stock take. It's an invitation. Earthquakes, cyclones, flooding, pandemics, they're an invitation to take stock. What really matters? What's the focus of my life? What do I truly value? When people are losing everything, what, oh man, what's important to me? What can I do in this moment? What are, what's, what are my priorities? What am I living for? Am I living to become a certain kind of person or to be a person that attains and does certain things? It's better to live to become a certain kind of person. I was talking to a gentleman at the changing rooms of the gym huge scar down his side and a big scar across there and he came over and he was chatting with me. He's like, I love you. 
and I listen. It's like, whoa. I'm like, whoa, what happened? And it's it pretty fresh. It's it quite pink kind of thing. What happened? What happened was he had a, a melanoma. Um, he was, he, his own words. He didn't like doctors, so he didn't ever go to doctors. Uh, then one day someone said, you should probably go to the doctor. So he went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you should have come and seen me a long, long time ago. And he had this big, big melatoma, big melanoma, melatona, melanoma, a big melanoma. Um, but it hadn't spread, it hadn't gone anywhere. And they took a huge skin graft off his side and they were able to kind of kind of fix it all up. A big scarring, and, and he was an elderly gentleman. And um, he was like, it was for the first time in my life, he said, I stood at death's door and I realized we were finite, that, that we're all going to die. I was like, wow, okay, kind of thing. And, um, you know, he's telling me this, 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 this story. And I, and I asked him, I said, um, on the other side of standing at death's door, um, you know, what did you learn? What stood out to you? What have you noticed? What would you do differently? What's your, what's your, your insight kind of thing? Um, you know, I didn't say what sober-minded, clear-headed, careful judgments and epiphanies have you come to, but essentially that was what I was asking, but I hadn't written the sermon yet. It's only, only this week. He said, oh, wow, he said, slowly and carefully. And I was about ready to get my notebook and pen and download some wisdom that only comes from the trenches of life, that only comes from standing at death's doorway. And, and, and I said, man, I want to learn this because, you know, better to learn it off you than have to go there kind of thing. And he, and he, he takes a breath. And honestly, he says, honestly, he says, deep in thought, and I'm pencil ready to go. He says, the Cameron Road roadworks are ridiculous. And the rates in this city are out of control. He says, I don't need this. I'm shifting to Otago. I was like, I was like, brilliant. I, I'm, I won't write that down. Um, but the degree to which that is a sober-minded, clear-headed, sound judgment, I, I don't know. Maybe... Maybe he needed to move to Otago, but I, I wasn't expecting commentary on the Cameron Road roadworks. It wasn't what, was it, what I was expecting. Nevertheless, these things, they become an invitation. And again, if we've got a little bit of a sacramental worldview, be able to look beyond the obvious, oh, what signposts are going on here? What message, what, what's happening? You know, there's more than meets the eye. We want to be transformer Christians. You know, there's more than meets the eye. There's something just beneath the surface there. What should I be paying attention to? We find the same invitation in Lent. In Jesus' wilderness commitment to live fidelity to God, no matter what, as he walked through that desert. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What really matters? What is the Holy Spirit whispering in this moment? So what is the words that are maybe proceeding from the mouth of God to us? Our last one this morning. Two Sundays ago, I highlighted practices and uh, challenged you to think about how you might be attentive to the Spirit as we journey through Lent. There was a, remember, there's all sorts of things on the screen, and I said, we'll zoom in on practices. And I talked about silence and solitude, or prayer and fasting, or coffee and conversations, or uh, what does that one say? Scripture and highlighter, or reading and reflection. It's like, hey, these are ways in which you could, you could be disciplined. You could make a little rule for yourself for the 40 days of Lent to pay attention, to be attentive to the voice of the Spirit and see what, what God might be saying to you in this moment. Last Sunday, Sam Harvey was talking about information brings revelation. 
But then he said, application brings transformation. So it's an old one-liner, but yeah. Well, that's the same. That's what I've been saying. It's like practice the stuff. Apply the stuff and watch as it changes your life. Five years ago, um, a couple of days ago, the Facebook memory from five years ago, I wrote this um, when I was a lot wiser than I am now. I said, a central part of what it means to be a Christian is to be on a journey to grow into the fullness of the image of God in Christ Jesus. That is, to grow and develop as one who is like Christ. This doesn't just happen, nor can you simply wish it to happen. A process of formation must be embraced. Disciplines involving prayer, service, community, silence, and the like are required. Actual practices that take time and intentionality. The question is not, but how do I fit these things into a busy life? That's back to front. A better perspective is to start with healthy disciplines and rhythms of formation. Some of them daily, some of them weekly, some of them yearly, that serve you in your journey of discipleship. And then ask yourself, and now what else can I fit into my life? Following Jesus isn't a hobby. It's a way of life. So it's like, hey, I think maybe we've been reminded to practice some things. Hey, we, had, we, we took up an offering today. We don't often do that. There's a reminder to practice some things. Practice faith, to be practitioners of gospel-shaped living, to practice spiritual disciplines of attentiveness, to stir up the gifts and the graces. What does Timothy say? Those that were imparted to you through the laying on of hands, to, to, to stir up that which you've received, to live sacramentally, to be clear-headed of sound judgment, not dulled into consumer-orientated escapism, not deluded by the false promises of false gods. And Lent is an actual practical invitation to have a go at this. 40 days of prayer, of fasting, of prescribed action for a season that becomes embodied for a lifetime on the other side. Now that verse there, right? that's Romans 12 verse 3. We all know Romans 12 verse 1 and 2. Therefore I beseech you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That's your true and Proper worship, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good and pleasing and perfect will. We, we know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. We've got to be transformed by the renewing of the mind and think different and act different and live different. And then verse 3. And this is Paul. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, so Paul's recognizing that he's being graced to maybe like make some calls where people don't want some calls to be made. Don't think of yourself more highly than you are. Or the paraphrased version. Hey, you might not be as transformed as what you think you are. You might not be as renewed as what you think you are. You might not be living quite in the will of God as closely as what you think you are. As Paul said, hey, there's a grace upon me to say this, so let me suggest to you. As a pastor, you have a responsibility as a, as a um, pastor <laughs> to say, hey, we're not always as transformed as what we think we are. We're not always as living in God's will as closely as what we think we are. So take stock. This is what it says in verse 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Clear-headed, not dulled, not deluded, careful. Where am I at? How am I going? How am I living? Is this a hobby or is this a way of life? And Lent's an invitation 
to that space. Lent starts on Wednesday. The 40 days that take us into Easter. In the Christian church, there have always been an invitation to prayer and fasting and to giving. Give up some things and save some money and you can give that money to other causes and different things. To give up some time spent doing that and to make space for time to pray. It's an invitation to be sober-minded. Feels a little bit like the last two and a half years living in New Zealand have been a Lent, a long Lent. A long call to sober-minded living and stock-taking and making sure. Cyclones. It's not the time to throw a party and feast. We'll do that on Easter when it's resurrection life and we even, even those things, you know, the seed falls to the ground and dies, but new life comes. But we're in that moment before the moment. Not the Advent one, but the Lent one. So I guess I'm challenging you to be sober-minded, clear-headed. What addictions, what habits, what over-indulgences, what coping mechanisms, what delusions, what false idols, what dulls you? What are the things that maybe you need to give up this Lent? It'll be different for everyone. I've found over the last 12, 13, 14 years of doing this every Lent, to sit in silence for a moment, and you just feel that still small voice of the Spirit kind of pointing and saying, you should maybe give that one up. And then you're like, I'm like, no, I should do this. You know, I should give up coffee, and you know. You haven't been drinking a lot of coffee. It's like you're not living an over-caffeinated life relying on coffee. I know. It would be easy to give that up then. No, this is the thing. Because things in our lives, they, just, they, they skew. We, we have our freedom, but things can skew out a little bit. So I put that all under the umbrella of being sober as we prepare for Lent. Our freedoms, sacramental living, cyclones and earthquakes and pandemics and these things that are going on, and, and then that which maybe the Spirit's whispering to us as a community, saying, hey, practice being a Christian. Roll your sleeves up. Commit to this. Make a rule for yourself. And then watch as it becomes natural and embodied and free on the other side. Let's stand together this morning. It would be nice to go straight to... Um, Resurrection life. But there was 40 days in the wilderness for Jesus. And then there was that last week that was started good on Palm Sunday. That was a high point. The disciples rated that. The boys are back in town. We had that soundtrack one Palm Sunday. And turned a corner later in the week with some betrayal and some execution and some despair. But all of those things in the life of Christ, in the story of Christ, they, we live those things. We live those things literally at times. We live those things metaphorically at times. And there's, there's an invitation to, to walk alongside Christ and allow Christ to walk alongside you in those seasons, to grow, to be the person that God's called you to be. I mean, the classical Pentecostal Easter Sunday is good because there was no Friday service or Saturday or Lent or anything. So it just starts, yay, Jesus died. That wasn't good. But he rose again. Let's go. I wish our lives were like, man, sometimes bad stuff happens, but Jesus rose, and it's all good, and it's going to be awesome. It's like sometimes when somebody says that, it's actually really jarring and really unsensitive to the reality of the, the thing that you've been walking for six months. So those things can go for a long time. 
and go for six years. I mean, Paul had something that, was, that, that troubled him that he prayed three times that it would go away and it never went away. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So let's be sober-minded as we enter into Lent. Uh, Lent the, the key word for Lent is not somber. The key word is not somber. Somber is kind of dull and cast and a little sad. No, the key word is sober. Sober and somber sound similar. They're not, they mean different things. Be sober-minded. As you go this morning, may be stirred to seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. May be stirred to slow down, to take time to tune in to the ever-whispering voice of the Holy Spirit, to live with a sacramental appreciation of life, to live as a holy connoisseur rather than an addicted consumer, to being sober-minded in all things. And as you go this morning, may the events of the last few years, the events of the last few weeks, prompt you to take stock of what matters most in life. And may you in your Lenten fasting awaken in fresh ways to the wonder of God in your life. And in all things, may you know the love of God, the life of Christ, and the peace of the Holy Spirit is your own. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Grace and peace to you, my brothers and sisters. Enjoy your Sunday. Please don't forget, if you'd like to give, we'd love you to give, that we can support these churches. If you have children at Kids Church, don't forget them. We'd love you to take them so we can support our Kids Church leaders. Tea and coffee.